And welcome into the Rap with Maz and Friends. Um, of course, I am not Tom Mazaway. Uh, Tom is enjoying some time with his family and I believe visiting some family out in New Jersey. But we have friends today. I am Ethan Perlman and I'm sitting alongside uh, Stephen McDonald. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. It's good to be back here in the NRM studios. Uh, great to see you again, as always. Been a couple months, I think, since you, me, and Ellington sat in here for Maz and Clarence. Mm-hmm. It has been a while, and we are coming to you from the Warren RV Studios in Farmington Hills, Michigan, here at NRM Streamcast. Uh, Warren RV Storage, located on 14 Mile between Mound and Van Dyke Road. They have uh, 14, 24-hour security camera surveillance, LED lighted parking, a fenced and gated property with an assigned keypad gate code to your own, and it operates 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Once again, Warren RV Storage, located at 6900 East 14 Mile Road, and their phone number is 586-977-2770. And, uh, We know that we're getting close to the end of the year, which means the college football playoff is coming up before we know it. The uh, semifinal games are this Friday. Uh, The Rose Bowl, for once, not happening in Pasadena, California. In fact, it will happen at AT AT&T Stadium between Alabama and Notre Dame. And then later that night, it will be the Sugar Bowl with Clemson versus Ohio State. I'm I'm a big Ohio State guy, but we'll we'll hold we'll hold that game for a minute. Rose Bowl, Alabama and Notre Dame. Alabama is almost a twenty point favorite at the moment over Notre Dame. Stephen, looking at this, what do you think? Uh, what do you think of this matchup? I mean, as you mentioned, it's going to be they're predicted to win by about twenty points. I think it'll be uh, closer than that for sure. I think Notre Dame has at times shown that they can be one of those top four teams in the country this year, and that's why they're in this top four and competing for a chance at the playoff championship. But, I mean, with Alabama, it's just one of those things where they are who they are, and they are who they've been for the past decade or so under Nick Saban. I mean, they just keep rolling along each and every year, so it's no wonder they're up there at number one again. So do I think Notre Dame has a shot in this game? Yes, I do. Um, Maybe even if you look at their history in the college football playoff um, in past years that Notre Dame's been in, it haven't really fared all too well. But I do think that they will have a shot in this game. I think that Ian Book is a very underrated quarterback for what he's done for this Notre Dame program. He is a winner as he's been through the past couple of years that he's been there. But like I said, Alabama's just, they are who they are. And I think Alabama gets it done in this one, but Notre Dame keeps it a lot closer than I think a lot of people think. And I, and I want to remind people, uh, Alabama has been in the college football playoff more times than we can count. But the first year of the college football playoff, Alabama, big favorite over my Ohio State Buckeyes. Ohio State, they didn't think should have been in the playoff. And you can make the same debate kind of with Notre Dame this year. Notre Dame has been a legit team all year, but was Notre Dame more deserving than Texas A&M or than Florida or whoever you want to put out there? I think they are. I think Notre Dame, as long as their defense can withstand the entirety of the game and Ian Book and that offense can put up points, Alabama has a shot of being upset. If... Notre Dame, though, cannot stop that passing attack and force uh, more of that run game. I, I don't have 
I don't have a lot of faith, but it, it would be it would it's definitely in the realm that Notre Dame wins this, as long as they can put up points and stop make stops on defense. I don't know. I still have Alabama. I have Alabama by fourteen, so not covering that spread, but Alabama by fourteen. And and you talked a lot about Notre Dame's ability to stop this Alabama offense, which not too many teams have been able to do this year. If you look at some of the more notable games that Alabama's played this year, I mean, they went and beat Texas A&M by almost 30 early on in the year. Obviously, that was a different Texas A&M team than we've seen over the past month or so. But still, they went out there and beat them 52-24. to They then go on and play Georgia. Again, not really what we're used to seeing with Georgia, but they beat them 41-24. And then in the Iron Bowl against Auburn, they beat them 42-13. And again, same story as those other two teams, not really the type of team that we're accustomed to seeing with them. And then their closest game really did come in that SEC championship game against Florida which was just a six-point win in a high-scoring game there. So I do think that this Notre Dame team will give them one of their toughest battles that they've faced all throughout 2020, aside from COVID. But I think for me, as you mentioned, it's their ability, Notre Dame's ability to stop Alabama's offense. And that's, to me, that's a lot easier said than done when you've got guys like Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, and uh, Mac Jones in that offense. It's going to be very tough for Notre Dame to do that. But as you mentioned, it, I think it can be done, and I think Notre Dame is one of those teams that has the potential to do it. And I, and I do want to point out with with that Alabama offense, Mac Jones uh, should be should be is the key word the Heisman favorite. Of course, the guy he's throwing the ball to is, in my opinion, the Heisman favorite in Devontae Smith, um, because he's just putting out numbers you you really don't see in college football from a wide receiver. Of course, in our other game, you have Clemson and Ohio State, and you have another Heisman candidate and Trevor Lawrence. And I don't want to get into that game yet, but I do want to address the Trevor Lawrence, Heisman, you know, those two words are synonymous with each other. No, they're not. I understand you want to get Trevor Lawrence the Heisman trophy before he goes pro. Do I think he deserves it this year? Absolutely not. I would give it to Kyle Trask. I'd give it to Mac Jones. I'd give it to De- to Devontae Smith before I would give it to Trevor Lawrence. And here's why. Those three names in front of him played every game. Those three names produced every game. I understand he, he got you know he got sick, he got COVID, he had to go through the protocols. Great. What did you do to put yourself in that position to get COVID? You were one of the few players on your team to get COVID. I don't think he deserves it. Plus, he has not had the year that he's had in past years. If he wanted to have won it, he he really should have won it last year. This year, it's Devontae Smith or Mac Jones, and I'll still be somewhat pleased if it's Kyle Trask. He's put up a great year, too. But when it comes to who deserves the Heisman Trophy, it's one of those two Alabama players. I don't want this whole, he's Trevor Lawrence, let's give it to him, because I have concerns when it comes to him in the NFL, depending on where he ends up, which right now it's almost a 100% lock to be Jacksonville, unless he pulls the I'm staying because I don't want to go there. I don't see it happening, though. No, and I think for him, to to say that you don't want to go number one just because of who's picking you, I think that's... That'd just be absurd because you're basically saying, yes, the money would be good, but where I'd be 
isn't worth the money, and I I can't see too many guys that would pass that up, especially just being able to say I was taken number one. Like that's every mm-hmm. player's dream, so I I just can't see him being too good to go to a specific team like that. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned Kyle Trask a lot. I think he's definitely the dark horse in this race between, like you said, the two guys from Alabama probably put Trevor Lawrence fourth right about now. And like I said, they they put up 46 points in that championship game against Alabama, so it's not really his mm-hmm. fault that they lost that game. So even in a loss, he still he still went out there and balled out for four quarters. He did. And I do want to I do want to start to jump into this next game in the Sugar Bowl with Clemson and Ohio State. Now, yes, I do have a significant bias being an Ohio State fan, but I do always give Clemson their due. But I do have some words for Dabo Sweeney. Now, what he said yesterday made me a little bit more pleased with with his under with understanding his rankings, um, with not putting any team that played less than nine games in the top ten. Okay, I get that. Um, so he respects Ohio State as the best team that didn't play nine games. But if if I'm Ohio State and I'm Clemson, I got to be watching what I'm saying to each other publicly. Um. Neither team needs more motivation to beat the crap out of the other. Ohio State already, this is already a revenge game for them. Trevor Lawrence played great last year in the Sugar Bowl. Justin Fields, in my opinion, played even better except for that last throw, which I don't put on him. I put on Chris Olave breaking off his route. Who knows what happens if Olave doesn't break break off that route and scores a touchdown. Who knows? Who's in that national championship game? But here is where I, I I do not understand college football fans. Trevor Lawrence going to be the number one pick. I don't deny that. But to say coming into this game that Justin Fields is is not is not on the same level as Trevor Lawrence, I have to disagree with. And here's why: the two have been one and two ever since they. Came out of high school, college, and my opinion, they should go number one quarterback, number two quarterback in the draft. What people are not understanding right now about Ohio State is they have had the weirdest season out of any team in the college football playoff. They played, then they could not play for two weeks. Some as a result of their own COVID cases, others as other teams just not staying healthy. Then they play another week, and then they can't play for another week and a half. Um, For those that say that Justin Fields doesn't look good this year, I have to say a lot of this is because he doesn't get in-game reps. You can ball out in practice. The minute you go against another team, it it is a different thing. Going against your own team, yeah, you know what to expect, even if you're game planning for their defense. You still know what to expect. You know how your guys play. You don't know how the other guys play. Um, and the fact that he's also been dealing with a wrist injury was, was good to know that he's feeling better. He thinks he'll be a hundred percent to go, but if I'm, if I am Clemson, if I am anybody who is doubting Justin Fields right now, I better wake up because I do not want to be that person to be, uh, the next day after the sugar bowl saying, what the hell just happened? Because he can do that to you. He is statistically the most elusive quarterback in college football. Trevor Lawrence is fifth. 
which baffles me. Trevor Lawrence is a very elusive guy when he's out of the pocket and he's running. It seems like nobody can tackle him. But to think about that, that Trevor Lawrence is fifth and Justin Fields is first. He's not an easy guy to tackle. And you saw that in many games this year where it seems like he got five people on him and he somehow he somehow breaks loose and either runs it or throws a touchdown. That's just my thoughts. Steven? Yeah, I mean, I think that when a lot of people talk about the fact that teams like Alabama and Clemson and uh, Notre Dame have all played 10, 11, 12 games uh, already this year, and Ohio State, as you said, has only played the six or so uh, currently, I think that a lot of people say, oh, well, that's an advantage for Ohio State, actually, because they've played less games, so their guys are less beat up. They, They don't have as much wear and tear on their bodies as you would have at this point in a normal college football season. And I think that to an extent that's true, but at the same time, as you mentioned, they're not they're missing those in-game reps because, as you said, it's way different from practice to a real game. Because in practice, if you if you throw an interception or something in practice, you can say, all right, let's go back, you know, reset it up, we'll do it again, we'll run it till we get this thing right. But in a game, you can't be like, all right, scratch it, let's go back, let's set, set it back up, it's second and ten again, let's go back and do it again. Like, no, you throw a p- pick in a game, the other team gets the ball, they have a chance to go down and score. So while, yes, I see their point that, they're, they might be a little more healthy than some of these other teams, especially with COVID and things like that now behind them for Ohio State. But I think that more so from just a rep standpoint, like you said, I think Ohio State's way behind those other teams. And I think that's something that they should be concerned about going into this playoff is how are they going to be able to match up knowing that they don't have as many reps under their belt this year, especially with some of those guys like the young wide receivers that they have, some of those freshmen and sophomores that they have this year, even though as good as they are, you know, you're going up against guys on the other side who are juniors and seniors who are going to be in the NFL draft this upcoming spring who have been there, done that. And I just, yeah, I think that's definitely something for me that I'm going to watch in that semifinal game. And I and I think, and this was something that was was made public again yesterday. And I'm proud of Ryan Day with how he kind of sidestepped the question. If you're Ohio State, Clemson is known for stealing signs, stealing what play you're going to do before you even do it, and it's perfectly legal. They're they're watching what you're what you're giving over on the sideline, and they're predicting. Okay, we know what it, what exactly is coming. Here's how we're going to set up our defense. No big deal. Perfectly legal, just like in baseball. You know, you see the you see the third base coach giving a bunch of signs. You know exactly what, what might be coming. Um. But something that was brought up was, what's more important? Keeping your defense on the field, off the field, or just keeping Trevor Lawrence off the field. Ohio State has never really been built around five, eight-minute drives. It's four, you know, two to four minutes, really high pace, passing, or big or big runs. If I'm Ohio State, I take kind of what the, what the professionals are saying, and I'm saying, okay, Trey Sermon, you gave me 330-some yards in that uh, Big Ten championship game. Can I get 200 this week, give the ball to you 30 times, run up the uh, control of the game, have the ball for us for 29, 30 minutes, and only give it to Clemson for the remaining time? Um, Keeping Trevor Lawrence off the field is going to be the biggest thing. I am not scared of Clemson's defense. They are good. I think Ohio State just has the weapons on offense to be able to compete with them and score points. 
I'm more concerned about Ohio State's defense keeping up with Trevor Lawrence. So if Ohio State can control the ball for the majority of the game, then I think Ohio State wins. If they can't and Clemson has the ball for more time than Ohio State, then it's going to be really hard for Ohio State to win this game. Yeah, and I would I would definitely agree with that. And I think that in order for Ohio State to do that, one of the biggest things that they're going to have to be able to do in this game is to control the line of scrimmage, especially on the offensive side of the ball with their offensive line. Have to be able to open up holes in the running game for guys like Master Teague and Trey Sermon, as you mentioned. Being able to run the football effectively in that game, keep the clock moving. And even if they're not, I think one thing Ohio State's always been good at, especially under Urban Meyer, was the ability to throw underneath on those short crossing routes, whether it be slant routes, or doing different things like that, even just throwing the ball short to the sideline on different comeback-type routes. But just being able to throw the ball underneath and just move the ball a little bit at a time, and as long as you're picking up first downs and keeping your offense on the field, I think that's going to be the most important thing for them in this game. Now, another thing that you talk about the slant routes, the comeback routes, um, that both of these teams have now had the experience of it, of enjoying, in my opinion, the targeting call. Ohio State had it last year with Sean Wade. That completely flipped the script of that game. First of all, I'm one of those people advocating you need to have two two totally different things for targeting. One is a penalty of so many yards and no ejection. The other one is he clearly tried to take the dude's head off, eject him, and the penalty. Because I feel for Clemson, they are going to be without one of their defensive starters, probably their most impactful defensive starter for the first half of the Sugar Bowl because of a targeting call in the ACC championship game. Was it by the book targeting? If you look at the rules, yes. Should he have been ejected and be suspended for the first half of the game? No. But I feel the same way with what Sean Wade's penalty was last year. If I'm the refs in these two college football playoff games I have to be really conscious of what calls I'm making and I'm not saying like don't call it if it's there but maybe don't call it targeting maybe just call it unnecessary roughness because penalizing one player could impact the whole game it could impact who is the national champion I mean if Clemson let's hypothetically say let's say Clemson's top defensive end hits a it's um, Justin Fields in the in the chest neck area and gets ejected. That could flip the game in Ohio State's direction. Same thing if Ohio State, you know, on a crossing route takes out a receiver. I, I think football has become too touchy in the fact that, yes, you want to protect these young athletes, but also you want to protect the game. And that's why they need these two two levels of targeting. Because if Ohio State, let's hypothetically say, like they did last year, puts up almost 30 points in the first half, I'm going to attribute some of that to Clemson not having their best defensive player out there. And I will feel for Brent Venable because I don't think his player should be suspended the first half. But that's just my take on it. So I got a couple things on this. So if I remember correctly, I don't know if it's still this way this year or if they're planning on ever like adjusting this rule. You kind of touched on it a minute ago. But with targeting specifically, 
it's basically black or white, right? Like that's still how it is. It's basically it was either targeting or it was nothing. Yeah. And and if they threw the flag, then the flag gets picked up and everything just goes back mm-hmm. to normal. So I think what you're saying is there needs to be that middle ground of it's either he did it, he didn't do it, or he didn't do it, but it was still a little more than what you would normally. I want I want to relate it to basketball and a flagrant foul. You have the flagrant one, which is he, he did use, you know, he used more force than he probably should have, but it wasn't intentionally to injure the other player. Yeah, it wasn't like malicious, I um, think is the word they used. And use. then, yeah, and then, you know, a flagrant two is you're maliciously trying to take out that player. Right. In college football, last year that hit on Trevor Lawrence, there's nothing Wade could have done. Like, Lawrence at the last second put his head down and, yeah, head and head collided. Nothing either player could have done right there. Same thing with that play last week or a few weeks ago in the ACC championship game. Tight end going low for the ball. He's tripping as he's catching it. Uh, Clemson player lowering his body to try to make the tackle, and his helmet happens to hit him on on the helmet. Um, Yes, there needs to be. And I'm not saying iffy. It's it's still not targeting. It's still targeting, but it's a lower class. Like – it's that it's that yeah. malicious versus versus kind of oh it was it was more of an accidental thing like yeah. it was just how the play happened exactly and, and I think when you talk about the guys especially the ball carriers lowering their head at the last minute I think that's something that definitely needs to be addressed with the targeting rule because mm-hmm. you hear it all the time with these defenders they're like well if the guy just decides okay I'm going down anyway so I might as well just like tuck my head and you know protect myself or whatever it's like what what is the guy supposed to do at that point because he's already going in for the hit he can't just stop yeah. and like once he already is in the process of making the tackle he can't just stop or sometimes you'll see the guy goes down the defender goes in to tackle him and he like flies over the top of him because mm-hmm. he do- he knows if he if he initiates he's going to get called for it so I do think that's definitely something that they need to look at between now and next August or whenever the season mm-hmm. starts but the other thing I was going to say is that the hope I think with the playoff is that I believe they have some sort of like a grading system for officials and the guys that get graded out as the top officials Oh they do for they do for the whole year. Yeah, That's yeah, how yeah. they so, decide these officials. Yeah, so what they the guys that get graded out as the top officials are the ones that then get to go to the playoffs. So you so the hope I guess is that you get the guys that are the top officials and they understand the rules and they're able to better mm-hmm. make those judgment calls because things like targeting are those judgment calls so you're hoping that you have the guys that are able to make those decisions as best they can yeah and the the biggest thing also with this i look towards the nfl and the nfl has done it perfectly offensive player initiating you know lowering that helmet if they make contact with the defender helmet to helmet guess who gets penalized the offensive player really the in the in the nfl and this is what I kind of am hoping college football looks at is if I'm a ball carrier, I catch the ball, I start running, and I lower my helmet to try to hit the defensive player in the head too, and not so much to knock them out, but because I know that they might be afraid to hit me up here because they're afraid of being penalized. The NFL cracked down on that. They said, screw that. We're going to start penalizing the offensive players for doing it too. Wow. So if I'm if I'm college football, I might look at that too and be like, okay, Offensive player initiated it, no targeting, and will penalize the offense for that contact. Um, but I think one of the biggest things, and 
we're getting close to the end of the end of the episode. But with um, with recruiting, we we've seen now the last four four or five years. Alabama's always in. It seems like Ohio State, Clemson, and then you got that fourth team: Notre Dame, Georgia, Oklahoma. They and all, even they, even I think the last two years maybe Texas A and M's definitely been around mm-hmm. the top seven, eight, nine teams too, and I think that's why they made that big jump under yeah. Jimbo Fisher from last year. I think they were like a five hundred team to this year. Obviously, they were what like top seven or so. Yeah, they finished I believe fifth this this year. Um, but my 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 question is going to be, and we'll continue this in our in our next uh, piece, is does the playoff need to expand? for us to see different teams in the playoff for years to come. Because with recruiting, if I'm a recruit, I'm a high-talented recruit, I want to go to the NFL and I want to play for a national championship. And if there's only four teams that go every year, I'm going to one of those four teams. I'm not considering anybody else. You have been listening to The Wrap with Maz and Friends with Ethan and Steven. Steven.